Welcome to this episode of the 9420 Podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. Burning yellow of the day is now a midnight. 
Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of the 9420 Podcast. That was Nico Santone with Night Show. Hi, Carl and Greg. How are you both doing? Hello. Hello, um, Carl and Greg. <laughs> Every single week. How about this? Hello, Nicole. Hello, Greg. Oh, no, see, that, no. that's polite. It's pleasant. Uh, completely unlike you or the podcast, but other than that. You know, I just realized, you know, this is pretty cool. I'm sitting in my in my room here in New York City, and you guys are in like, um, I know it's stupid and it's obvious, but technology today is pretty great, isn't it? It's like we're doing this, like we're in different cities all over the country, and just... I'm even on vacation doing this. You're on vacation, Greg's in his asylum. Yeah. (laughs) He got that right. (laughs) You know, it's just kind of cool, I don't know, right? It's almost like that haze that they put over everybody as they're ruling the world from behind the scenes you know it's like i think it's like it's like being in that ectoplasm uh on the on the uh, matrix you know and then when you scrape all that away it's like oh technology kind of sucks but for right now yeah it's provided some convenience. Well, exactly. No, no, but we also change our our like thoughts on it weekly. Like, I bet you by the time we record next, Carl will be like, "Oh, technology's the worst. We need to pull the plug." <laughs> yeah, like, he's the pull the plug guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like, no, probably by the next sentence, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll say. It's, it's, <laughs> but there is some, yeah. But there is some, like you know, some pluses to it. Anyway, that that, that music was kind of cool, kind of like nineties cool. spacey. Like, just I love how he just has space. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he just I, I think, uh, takes time to sing the verse, lets some intro, and just plays it out, and it's cool. I've been thinking uh, a lot about um, like genres because how narrow my um, tastes have become. And uh, so the signature thing for what we just heard from me is the vocal. I think the vocal is delightful. Uh, and there's a whole genre of those guys that sing that way. Um, and I think they span 70s through 90s, basically. You know, uh, do you remember um, Michael Franks? Right. Uh, you know, do you remember um, Jason Mraz? Do you mm-hmm. remember uh, somebody called Al Giroux? Well, I'll uh, tell you something. I, I want to disagree with you. I, I think, love the vocal. I think anything you have a more broader musical genre knowledge than, than any of us i think you, you yeah but I, maybe because it's got more influences yeah uh i just well, um, i think for you you seek out the obscure but i think that's why you think that maybe you're so like focused on a certain genre is that why i think that my tastes have become too narrow because mm-hmm. yeah that, that might be valid i mean i'm um uh, last week i had an epiphany i was like I have been really depressed about music in general, and I've let my feelings about the music business encroach upon the power that music itself has on me. So I've been thinking I'm going to be more open. I'm going to be less judgmental. I'm going to let music delight me again, and that hasn't happened for many years. Where are you going to get let that happen? When, when when will it happen? No, where do you go to let that happen? Where are you going to hear the music? You're going to go to start combing Spotify for new music, or? Well, yeah, I mean, it's like I thought about it. It's like you know, one of the ways it happens actually, and I didn't know it completely subconscious is the music we feature here each week. 
It's new music. It's newer than new because it hasn't been exposed or discovered. But yet I'm just listening on the merits of the music that's being made and the songs that are being written. And so that's kind of a cool thing, you know. I don't necessarily have to follow a playlist to to be hip to new things. I don't have to follow a playlist that, you know, uh, whether or not it's discovered is dependent upon whether or not you've got 20 million streams or not. I just need to be more open to music in general. Okay. All right. So does that mean you'll actually like Ed Sheeran now and give him a give him a taste and see see if it's good? That thought has occurred to me a few times <gasps> since you went to that really? damned show. Ah, oh, I'm so glad to hear it. <laughs> talk about talk about like you know bringing up she that she'll not be named. <laughs> I saw some some meme of her. It says now and then. And it showed her on some little a flatbed truck in like Nashville playing for like six people. And then it showed like the crowd at like some 80,000 seat place. And like in, in like 10 years, how she's grown from like from this to this. You know, like, wow. Like that in, in itself is kind of amazing. So, you know what's funny? So, I obviously went to go see Ed. And unfortunately, because of the cell phone connection, you guys did not get any of my pictures uh, of him. Oh. Uh, I know you're devastated by that. <laughs> One, he actually beat the record number of people in attendance for a single concert at Nissan Stadium. So it was like 73,872 or something like that. What's wrong with these people? So he Which beat one of he, uh, he beat, Tay's he, nights. He did, and it's because of how his stage is set up. He can actually allow for like thousands more people. He's in the to round, right? Yeah, because he's in the round. Gotcha. And honestly, it, it was nice because... He just performs to perform. Like, there's no entertainment value. Like, there's no show he puts on. He just sings his songs. He does his looping, which I personally think is great. Well, he makes more money because he has less people to pay. Yeah, but he did. He So what he did was he... Does he have a band at all? The first section, he looped. He had a couple sections where he had like four or five songs that he played and he brought out collaborators because he wanted to play songs that he was a songwriter of and not necessarily the person who actually cut the music. And then the last part, he just looped again. So he brought out a band for maybe like 15, 20 minutes. I will say he's probably one of the only performers I've seen recently that truly sounds the way that he records. Because, and I think it's because of how he records and loops and everything like yeah, that. But yeah, he does not sound simple. different. Yeah, yeah, pretty simple stuff. So. so on a scale of one to ten, meeting your expectations. Of going into the concert, I would say like 9.5. The only thing, the only, the only thing that I would say was terrifying was we had nosebleed seats. And I guess this is a sign of me being old, but like he would say, everyone jump and the stadium would jump and the seats would shake. And that terrified the crap out of me. <laughs> Who were you there with? Um, my mom, my sister and my twin. Now, we we, we what, did a girls weekend. What was your mom's impression? She fangirled so hard the whole week. Like <laughs> She thought, well, because I had planned the Nashville weekend because they don't live in Nashville with me. So we did an activity beforehand. She at one point thought that I was getting a meet and greet with Ed. And then she was (laughs) she was so enamored by the show because they saw him when he was touring five years ago up in Boston. I couldn't go because I just had Kenzie. But she even said she goes, this was better than Boston. And she she feels that this is his last big 
touring performance like it just feels like it's like the end for him just how he's going to go out and maybe he'll do smaller gigs but she doesn't think he's actually going to perform like big stadium tours again i don't think i don't think they ever should do big stadium tours i think it's a (laughs) it's a money grab and like he should play like two thousand seat halls especially if he's looping i think it's greed and like it's. I'm sorry because it, well, it can't be good. I, you can't I, be. You can't be in nosebleed seats. Seventy thousand people listening to a guy do solo acoustic looping stuff and tell me it sounds it, great. No, it does sound good. It, I. I kid oh, you not. It on. sounds great. And he did the Ryman the night before. He did a, a huge or not huge, but he did a smaller show the night beforehand because Nashville he calls is like his second home. So you know why don't they just do like the Sahara Desert and do like five hundred thousand people or just have, just have woodstocks just play one well, show yeah that yeah eight million absolutely. people I mean, it's like what's the difference between seventy thousand people in a stadium trained on a single person standing on, on in one the muppet middle? on one muppet <laughs> <laughs> or going to woodstock and being a half a mile from the stage and you know having the music just be the background for experience at the at, at the and it, uh, i mean it's all about the experience, experience so yeah part of it bugs me because now there's metal detectors you can't bring anything in you can't smoke so that that it's, i will say not... there's there's two things i did not well three things and we discussed one of them which is the jumping in the stadium shaking I did not like the fact that like you can't go into a stadium without like a clear bag or you have to have this because we abided by the rules. And of course, there were people who didn't and they still got in. So it pissed me off that people just weren't following the rules and that we could have brought bigger bags and made ourselves a little bit more comfortable. And two, Greg, you know this and Carl, you probably know, too. But with uh, Nissan Stadium, you can walk over the bridge back to downtown Nashville. So like right. 70,000 people trying to walk over that bridge. It took us like an hour just to get over and back. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, but it's not fun, man. I remember the day when you, you bring up, you can bring a pint of Southern, you can bring some weed, you can have a good time. <laughs> no, no, no. People, here's, a, here's the thing. People still brought weed. We were smelling it throughout the entire stadium, which I don't know how they got it in because it's not technically legal in Tennessee, but you were, you could smell it for sure. Yeah, you, should be allowed, you should be allowed to smoke weed at a concert. Come on. You should be able to, be able to bring bongs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, why not? Bring a bong. Hang I out. I feel like you could at the Dave Matthews Band concert. Like, I I went to one in Saratoga Springs, like, in my very intempered youth. And I remember just looking around and, like, everyone was just stoned out of their mind with their bongs and their little pipes and stuff like that. It was very weird. You know what I think? I'm changing my mind. I think... <laughs> I think there should be no more live performances. <laughs> I, I think they're pointless. No more recording. No more no, live. I, I like recording, but like I remember, I remember seeing Paul McCartney <laughs> at, at City Field when he came, and like, who cares? You know, like it's like just a guy just rehashing his his greatest hits just to make money. It bugs me. It bugs me. <laughs> yeah. Why does it bug me? Am I stupid? I, I don't know why it bugs you. <laughs> I can't answer that for you. I think there's a difference between, or at least. It seems this way to me that performances have changed so much. I mean, how many pe- how many female pop singers in the last ten years have toured without dancers? Oh. I mean, it, it just seems very strange to me the way it's not. It's not even the last. It's the last like twenty five years. Okay, like, well, I hate dancers. If, if yeah, I see a well, dancer, I'm leaving. They all got them. <laughs> 
They all got them. It's like going to the damned ice capade. Exactly. <laughs> and you're right. I saw that a close-up of, of our girl that can't be named, and she's wearing yeah. those like those ice capade tights she wears. <laughs> like, why? Like, what are you doing? I, 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 you have the cellulite or something you're hiding? If you're going to do it, dress right. She's, you know, I don't know. No, it's part of the aesthetic. You know, you, you look Ugh. at the pink shows. The pink shows are all dancing. And, she she you does know, acrobatics, and man. Everything. She does like know, trapeze stuff. She does like, I, I yeah. Guess, I guess when hip hop became a thing, a genre, I guess there's 10 years of people that worked in that uh, genre. And I guess the dancers or the, you had your posse of dancers to go along with um, I remember I remember going this is how I date myself going to the Academy of Music my friend got tickets to see Hot Tuna right and Hot Tuna it started at 8 o'clock we got there at 10.30 and they were playing after we left around 3.30 they were still playing and like <laughs> and the thing is it's just Yoma Kona and Jet and they're just standing there sitting there on the stools playing nonsense and like no one moved no one dancing the lights can't flash a little bit but that was yeah. it just hear yeah. music the dead you ever see the dead they just stand there <laughs> you, ever, you ever see Pink yeah. Floyd they just stand there. That pissed me off. Bowie did that years ago with like, he had the, those dancing guys with him. Like, I don't want to see you dancing. I want to hear your songs. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's a time-honored popular music And they're never thing. good. They're not Fred Astaire or Gene Kelly. They're all like, I'm sorry, they look lame. They look phony. They're all like choreographed lame. I'm sorry. Taylor Swift is not a dancer. I've seen no, her. She's I've not. seen her videos. Neither is Pink, for that matter. Well, she's better than uh, Taylor Swift. You know, <laughs> you know, that's what I want. I think I, Shakira is probably. I will the best not see Ed Sheeran unless he dances. <laughs> I guess you'll be waiting a pretty long time, Carl. Carl, the next show you do, you better have a couple dancers. We could because... be the back. No, Greg, you and me could be the backup dancers. I could choreograph well, it for us. I've got a couple moves, but yeah. somebody's going to need to update my. Uh, you know repertoire. What? No, I, I I agree. I think live live performances are over. You know, <laughs> I don't wanna, I don't want to hear it. I am just so tired of not liking shit that I'm just going to change my tastes. Yeah, you know, something, that's, that's there's the something very positive about being yeah. negative about things. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you know it's amazing though. Even though we come onto this podcast with. Nothing to say. No, I had something to say this week. Oh, yeah. are you going to say something? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to talk about Ed, and we did that. <laughs> oh, that was it? Okay. No, I mean, I have a oh. couple more things if we want to continue talking, but... Nicole, give us your impression of our reactions to your Ed Sheeran experience. I was pleasantly surprised that you're willing to maybe uh, get on board with Ed when you were saying that, so... And you knew Carl was... Oh, I knew Carl... I would. Call. Yeah, I knew okay. Carl was continuing uh, to call him, like... A gremlin of a leprechaun, or whatever he's called it. So, <laughs> a muppet, the redheaded muppet. That's what it was. But then again, in total contradictory form that I always am. If Ed would call me tomorrow and want me to just like play banjo or anything he ever did, I'd sure I'd love to. So I'd be there in a minute and go right with. Damn, the love your work. Yeah, love yeah. your work, man. Love your haircut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I'm. So as, as usual, I'm just full of it, so that's okay. That's all right. 
Well, why don't we play some more music by Nico? Um, we'll yes. play All I Want to Do is Forget. But before we hear that, we're going to hear from a company called 1824, who has graciously invited us to be a partner with them. In this episode, we talk about 1824 and 9420's partnership. 1824 is Universal Music Group's creative solutions team focused on the connection of artists and brands directly to fans through storytelling and experiences. Their offerings include content creation, ideation, PR, A&R, creator partnerships, experiences, and digital marketing. With a staff of passionate and highly skilled visionaries, they own a direct connection to youth culture. 1824's first-of-a-kind network of young creatives allows them to make an impact locally while thinking globally. They redefine artist development while building the careers of future industry executives. For more about 1824, you can go to their website, which is 1824official.com. It's that number is 1824official.com.
I really like it. Interesting, like uh, end, really like ending that. of that song. Yes, that's kind of a, it's kind of a time honored time honored thing to do. You get a vocal that's really great and really interesting and not very pitchy, and then you pair it with a guitar that is ever so slightly out of tune. I, yeah, I was just gonna say that. It's funny that you say that. Yeah, uh, and that's a, a really kind of a cool '80s. Uh, quirky thing to do. I don't and think it's, it's done on purpose. I think it's just how it is. I, 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 think, I think it is. I, I think, think it, it is. is. Yeah. I've always wondered why certain like um, like Motown records sound great even 50 years later because I believe that recording, I think because of the way we're on the planet, it seems to capture the intention of the moment. And I believe that when those four guys in the room or five guys in the room doing that stuff and Stevie Wonder and the Four Tops, it just caught the vibe. And it's, we capture that. And I think, like, why is it that for some reason when anything Paul McCartney does, not as hip, but when Lennon does it, there's an air of, like, edge and artistry there for some reason. And I think it's intention. See, I think, I'm just going to say this, I think... Just an example, McCartney is an amazing craftsman, so is Billy Joel. I think John Lennon is an artist. I think there's a difference. And I think that comes across in the recordings. When Lennon says something, we always give it an air of more depth for some reason, because he said it, because I feel that comes through him. And and I think records capture that. That's why I don't think I like Taylor Swift because I don't get that from her. I think she's a craftsman. I think she records wonderfully crafted stuff, but I don't think there's true depth and heart coming from her. You're not hearing the intention. I don't, yeah, I, I don't I, hear that. I get that. And I think with other people, I do. This is an interesting line of conversation. When is the last time you felt as passionate about a recording as you felt about a Beatles recording when you were 18 years old because this is a lo- this is along the lines of what we were talking about earlier this this idea that I need to be more open and my listening I've shut my ears down so far because of what I've told myself I like or dislike this guy right now this Nico guy I believe him. I think he's he's for real. He's this is who he is. He's not trying to be anything, and it comes right. across to me, and that's why I kind of like it. Where there are yeah. other artists we've done where it's really sonically better and more of a better production of something about it. It just it just lays flat yeah. for me. No, I I totally get this. I th- I think this is. I've had a couple visceral experiences. The first time I've heard some Adele tracks. Right. Okay. You're right. I do. I agree. Yeah, and so I think that that is in her 
vocal. I think that is in her uh, expression. And I think a lot of people have uh, a powerful reaction to her music because it's there. It's worthy is of it a honesty? Is it pure honesty? Is that what it is? I don't know if it's honesty. I, I think, I don't know, because there's so much of this is relies upon the receiver. You know, they're the broadcaster. What is it? Is your receiver tuned correctly to hear everything that their performance represents? I don't know. I mean, I think I've shut mine down a bit. But anyway, we spoke with Nico, right? We did. Nico answered our questions of the week. So the first question that we asked Nico is to tell us a little bit about himself. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Nico Santone, and I'm a singer-songwriter based in Albany, New York. I just want to say it's so nice to be a part of this podcast, and I'm really thankful for the opportunity to be sharing who I am and what I do with all of you. I just released a new EP called After Hours, and it's everywhere right now. Please give it a listen and tell your friends. I'm very excited about it, and I'm really excited to perform the music live. For now, I'm playing acoustic live shows and looking to expand and find musicians to collaborate with. You know, the goal is that I can find some musicians who dig what I'm putting down and I could start playing some full band shows um, and definitely trying to branch out into somewhere other than New York. But for now, I'm going to ride my acoustic wave in upstate New York um, and see where things go. You know, I love, I, I do, I still love about this is that he's doing exactly what I did 40 years ago. You know, like, it's <laughs> the like. The rat race hasn't changed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, basically, I like, you know, when I was lucky enough, like, I did that band thing. Then when the band broke up, I like did the solo thing, but then I didn't want to have a band anymore. I wanted to have musicians. The big thing in the ad I pushed to put, like, Singer songwriter looking for musicians with label interest. That was always the catchphrase. So when you had label <laughs> interest, more people were like you're going to be hired later. Well, well, yeah, more, more people came. Oh, I'll check it out. Just label interest, and like, uh, turns out half the time it just it just stayed interest. <laughs> it never transcended into actual more than interest. But <laughs> I think we have one more question from Nico, right? We do. So we asked him what music artists have inspired his career so far. So I just want to start by saying that I have an appreciation for so much music. And I feel like it'd be unfair not to say that um, before I say what I'm about to say. Um, but I do have a specific artist that has influenced and shaped the way that I do things, the way that I write, the way that I play. Um, and that person's John Mayer. Um, he really just has been like the catalyst uh, in my musical growth and is she's just really shown me who I want to be. And, uh, in like, you know, I've always been involved in music and, uh, but I never really excelled at guitar playing or songwriting. And I was always working to get better and was just like missing something. So going back to 2017, my friend had told me that John Mayer's was coming out with a new album. Um, and I think that was the search for everything. And, uh, but I didn't even know who he was at the time. And my friend like was like, hold on a second. You have to listen to all of this, uh, like all of his previous music. And I did and was floored. So uh, the whole Where the Light is live album uh, had me feeling so many different emotions that I knew that that was what I wanted. And I knew that that was what I wanted to, like, to feel every single time that I played. 
Um, but, you know, John Mayer has also opened my eyes to Jimi Hendrix and C. Ray Vaughan. And like ever since I've just been down a rabbit hole of old and new music. And I think it's really great. Yeah, you know, I don't know enough about John Mayer myself. I think he's right. I remember I lived his first album when he first came out. I think he was one of the last guys who made it the old-fashioned way. He got a deal and, and broke, you know, from a major label and, like, you know, and I think it was back in 2000 around. And you he, you actually still had to sell records. Right, and, and he did yeah. it. And then, like, and then and then I know he's a great guitar player. I remember I just saw a thing with him on stage with Ed Sheeran, right? He's, yeah. He was doing something. So he plays with everybody. He plays with the dead. I saw him do something with James Taylor. He's he's with everybody. Plus, he's dated everyone. So the guys had, you know, I have to admit, but I don't know much about his music other than the first record, you know. <laughs> I know he's famous. I know more about the people he's dated. I know he has a lot of tattoos and he and he's works out because he looks kind of good. <laughs> I think he had a public wrestle with his ego, which I think is cool. We had a, a big thing here at the house today. What? Uh, we canceled <laughs> our Amazon Prime. Wow. Thank, th- thank you very much. A little applause thing there. <laughs> thank you. No, Amazon, you may not renew my $379 membership. It's 149 well, Yeah, it's, it's literally, mine's 136 Yeah, what are you talking about? Mine says 379 I don't know it's why. It's probably two, two years. Yeah. Well, that's it. <laughs> I canceled that sucker. Has anybody seen the Barbie movie yet? No. I, you know, I got mixed reviews. I heard someone say... This guy Mark Marin, he's a he's like a pretty intense comedian, you know, guy. He has a podcast, and he said it's kind of good. He goes, "It's not what you think. It it talks about female rights and stuff, and it's it, it really paints this picture of men in a weird. It's really kind of some artsy movie. It's not a joke. I'm sure. I'm sure it's. Uh, I've heard two things. I've heard that it's a masterpiece, and it shows people the parody of what. Barbie has always been and then I heard that it is the most woke most dangerous most disgusting piece of Hollywood crap in the last 20 years okay so that's those con- are the two things that's I've conflicting heard, so. <laughs> yeah that's a bit conflicting I, I want you to go I'm going I'll, I'll provide I'm, the uh, I'm probably review. gonna go this week so I'm gonna go too so we're gonna talk about yeah, it yeah we'll week. talk about it next week the woman that developed Barbie for Mattel in 1958. It's considered to be the world's most iconic toy for girls, right? Okay, sure, I get that. Here's what's odd. Her husband also worked for Mattel. And 10 years later, he developed Hot Wheels. Wow. I mean, you're talking about a damn power power couple. couple. Yeah, they're like the original Barbie and Ken. They create the two most iconic toys on the face of the planet, uh, and uh, they're a married couple having coffee every morning. So why has there never been before they go in? Why has there never been a Hot Wheels Barbie? (laughs) (laughs) Are we done with this? I think we are. We we've got some homework to do now. Okay. Well, I think I've been very even tempered in this episode. Yeah, you talked a lot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the 9420 Podcast. Make sure that you listen all the way through because we have one more song by Nico called Amora. For everything that we spoke about in this episode, you can go to our website, which is 9420.com. That is the numbers 94 and the letters C-W-E-N-T-Y. Until next time, we'll talk to you all later.
with you so 